0: Welcome to The Family Brain with your host, Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy.
1: The Family Brain, and I'm Megan Gibson. Today on The Family Brain, I'll be talking with Patricia Young. Patricia Young is a therapist and hosts her own podcast show called Unapologetically Sensitive. And I learned about Patricia through a Facebook group that I'm a part of for women podcasters. And It sounded interesting to me, this idea of being sensitive. And I thought of family members and people I know that that might apply to. And as I talked to her, I realized this applies to me. And so I'm excited to dig into some of the resources and um, works that she referenced in the episode to learn more about this trait. Um, She has great information. And as a highly sensitive person herself, she talks about ways that she has learned to sort of um, celebrate it as a strength and use it for its best and sort of be more uh, compassionate with herself in the moments where it is more difficult. Um, Ironically, during this episode recording, I was Highly overstimulated. I had my parents visiting in town, which I was tired a little bit from. And I also had um, someone vacuuming in the background, which is awesome because I very much appreciate the help. But I didn't really think through how that would be while I was recording a podcast episode. So around um, minute 19, you will or maybe it'll be later you'll tell when I, my voice gets a little more intense. (laughs) So it just kind of was funny that, that in the moment I was feeling a little overstimulated, um, while we were talking about it, but it all worked out and she has great information to share. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. I am going to plan to post a blog about this episode on my Facebook page, and I would love for you to check it out. Thanks so much. Hi, Patricia. It's so good to talk to you and learn from you, and I'm excited to hear more about your podcast also, um, Unapologetically Sensitive. Is that correct? Yep, that's it. Unapologetically Uh, Sensitive. I love it. So when, has this always been the focus of your work, or is that something that's newer at this stage in life?
2: It's interesting. It informed my work all the way along as a therapist without knowing what it was. And once I found out what being a highly sensitive person was, then it really gave me a name, an understanding, a framework, a reference to talk about it. But highly sensitive people, you know, we're deep thinkers, we're deep feelers, we're very introspective. 50% of people in therapy are highly sensitive people. So we want to know about ourselves. and So Mm -hmm. I think that really worked well for me as a therapist because I was so interested in figuring out why I, kind of showed up in the world the way that I did, and I used that with clients that seemed to attract clients that have the needs that match
1: the skill set that I had. Right. So if 50% of people who are in therapy are highly sensitive, does that make, like, 99.9% of therapists highly sensitive? (laughs) I'm wondering, because I I don't consider myself highly sensitive, but I wonder, maybe I am. I don't know.
2: Yeah, you know, I haven't seen any research on it. I have seen... I have a Facebook group for my listeners, and we did a Myers-Briggs poll, and it seems like a high number of highly sensitive people are also INFJs, not all of them. And I'm a highly sensitive extrovert, but on Myers-Briggs, I show up as an introvert. Ah, interesting. So the correlation is, I think there are a lot of therapists that are also INFJs, but I don't know what the... Correlation is between therapists and being highly sensitive people. There is a
1: Facebook group for highly sensitive therapists. Oh. So it's a fairly large group. Yeah, I um, I think that's part of why I am podcasting now and not seeing people in person because now I have a family, and it just was a lot to carry the stories of your family and carry stories for people that you are meeting. And it's it's I am always impressed when people are able to manage that well because it's it's a lot.
2: It is a lot. It is a lot. I I think, too, and I'm not saying everybody, but before I learned I was a highly sensitive person, I really pushed myself. In some ways, I honored my needs, and in other ways, I really pushed myself beyond what was good for me. So having that information about what we need and trying to create a lifestyle that honors that is really important. And I think a lot of us just do the hustle because we have to whether we know we're highly sensitive or not. And when we get more information, we look back and we go, "Like, how did I do that?"
1: Right. So, what are some things if someone's listening and thinking, "Well, I wonder if I'm highly sensitive." What are some sort of telltale signs that that might be a characteristic that you
2: have? Well, there are two tracks here. I'm going to take the informal track, and then if you will we'll take the formal track of how Dr. Elaine Aaron has four defining characteristics that kind of make up the personality trait of being highly sensitive. What I love talking about is the two, the T O O. So if you've been told you're too sensitive, you're too picky, you think too much, you worry too much, you're too dramatic, um, you know, you can't take a joke, you need to get thicker skin, there's a good chance that you're a highly sensitive person because highly sensitive people were deep thinkers, were deep feelers. So if we switch over to Dr. Elaine Aaron's four core characteristics. Uh, It spells out the acronym DOES or DOES. So D is for depth of processing. O is overstimulation, over arousal. E is emotional responsiveness or empathy. And S is awareness of subtle stimuli. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm just listening, thinking I think I I think I think might be a highly sensitive person. And I'm having a flashback. So my sister, my younger sister, I remember having dinner one night with the family. I'm one of four girls and my parents and were all sitting there. And my sister was upset about something. And I remember somebody, I don't remember who, said, oh, you're being too sensitive or something like that. Or no, too dramatic. And she said, I'm not trying to be dramatic. And she said it in this very dramatic way. And then we all start to laugh. You know what I mean? It, because... We thought that was funny, but I'm thinking back to that moment, and she's she's basically telling us, this is how I am, and I'm not trying to be this way, and then we all started laughing. Right. So Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> right. If, if you want, I'm happy to talk a little bit more in depth about each one of those are, but I just didn't want to – I wanted to kind of give you a chance to interact.
1: Yes. <laughs> no, no. I appreciate it because it's, it's, it's making different things pop in my mind, and I mean, even with the um, highly sensitive, I didn't realize – how sensitive I am to stimulation until I started going to kids' birthday parties. And I mm-hmm. just noticed I cannot have a conversation. I freak out. Like, I'm not freak out, but I'm just like, oh my God, when is this over? And I look oh, around and a lot of other people are just having conversations. Oh, I know, it's not where I want to be on a Saturday. But that wasn't my experience. It wasn't, oh, I'd rather be somewhere else. It was like, oh my God, why would anyone do this? You know? Um right. so, so I didn't, I feel like as I've gotten older, I've realized more about different situations because when you have a family, you kind of end up in a lot of situations that you maybe wouldn't pick, right? Like there's more, sure. you know, you have a little less control than when you're just in charge of you. Um, no, I think yeah. that's great. I think that's very helpful to help think about, you know, that that's not everyone's experience.
2: Yeah. So. I kind of want to take a step back, take a side step, and then move forward if you're okay with that.
1: <laughs> sure. Do, you do you. do you? That's what we're here for. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
2: Okay. So a lot of that's been written, written about introverts, especially some of the stuff that Susan Kane has written. But when I go on social media and I look at memes about introverts, many of the authors have included traits of being a highly sensitive person without naming it as being highly sensitive. So there's a really good chance that if you identify as an introvert, you may be a highly sensitive person. And the way that I learned about being a highly sensitive person was by identifying with these introvert means, thinking I was an introvert and then learning I was a highly sensitive person and then learning about being a highly sensitive extrovert. Because our definitions of introversion and extroversion for non-highly sensitive people is not the same as being a highly sensitive person.
1: Oh my gosh. I think I need a graph. I think I need a graph. Okay. So, if you're highly sensitive, the way you express your introversion and extroversion looks different. Is that yes. what you're saying? Okay. Then someone yes. who is not doesn't feel that way. Okay, that All makes right. sense. So,
2: let's take a step back. Out of the population, Dr. Aaron suggests that maybe 15 to 20% of the population are highly sensitive people. It's something that we're born with, so it's not due to trauma, wounding, injury. Anything like that, it's a great trade. Of those twenty percent, seventy percent are introverts and thirty percent are extroverts.
1: Hmm. And then how does that show up? How does How, how does the introversion and extroversion show up? Like if people I feel like there's there's different ways of thinking about introversion and extroversion. Because sometimes people will say, Oh, I'm an introvert. And then you look at them and you think, Oh, it doesn't seem like you are. What is your right. sense of, or what is your understanding of the difference between introversion and extroversion and what that looks like?
2: Well, I think people typically use the analogy of the battery for introversion and extroversion that, you know, extroverts get their batteries filled by being with people, and introverts get their battery by being with people. And that works sort of. What I can tell you as a sensitive extrovert is, I have a strong need for connection. However, that looks like one person or a small group of intimate friends. It means having deep conversation. I don't do small talk. I don't do chit chat really well. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be in a loud coffee shop. You are not going to find me in crowds where it annoys me, where it's bright, and I really have to be careful about finding my sweet spot with connection because if I go out at night, like I come home wired and tired. Mm-hmm. And so I need to have some downtime. But when I thought I was an introvert, I would take a lot of downtime thinking that's what introverts need, and then I'd get a little bit depressed, I'd get listless, I'd get bored because I don't need too much downtime. I, I need enough to recharge, but then I need to reconnect again. So mm-hmm. it's finding that balance of how much connecting and how much i
1: downtime. Yeah. You sound like me.
2: <laughs> it sounds very familiar.
1: And I think I've never put all those, you know, like I haven't thought enough about it. But as you're talking, I'm like, that sounds like me. Because I I think I, people would see me and think I'm an extrovert. I like to talk to people. But I like to talk about this kind of stuff. I'm not just like shooting the shit. You know what I mean? I, I can right, do that. Right. But um, so I like it. I enjoy hearing people's stories but then I also need that downtime, that quiet time to kind of rejuvenate. Otherwise, I'm just fried. And I feel like I do get fried more quickly than other people. You know, when I when I check in with people, I'm like, "Wait, why?" And then you start to feel like is something wrong with me? Like, do I have some sort of I mean, I'm always getting the doctors to like check my blood work. Is am I okay? Is everything okay? Just cuz we don't talk that much about all of these nuances to people you know what i mean and and i don't think we talk enough about how like it's fine it's just different than how other people are operating
2: right and it's totally how we're wired i think that we tend to run a little bit more on the anxious side not everybody but part of the depth of processing and the awareness of subtle information in our environment means that we are great thinkers and planners and projectors we're good at forecasting we're good at problem solving troubleshooting because we're taking in so much information, but we also tend to get overwhelmed and overstimulated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and often I think what people have, you know, depression and anxiety are real, medication is valid, I wanna be really clear that I'm not addressing that. What I can say in my own life is, I thought I had social anxiety, and when I learned I was a highly sensitive person and then learned I was a highly sensitive extrovert, I think I get so overstimulated when I was younger and then I did that introvert and I'm like, That's the problem, I need to not be around people and then that didn't work for me. I think I got so overwhelmed and over aroused that need the connection but use the narrative of being an introvert to avoid social situations, it didn't work really well.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, I think that that sounds very familiar. I remember I had a friend, I've I've talked about this before, but I was like, I just don't feel that great. You know, I'm just kind of feeling down. She's like, well, what are you doing right now? And I'm like, I'm in my pajamas in a dark room, like watching Netflix about like a murder. And she's like, okay, here, we're gonna get the, the blinds up. And sometimes you need people to like snap you out of that when it gets to be overwhelming. But I think that's probably why a lot of therapists maybe are highly sensitive. It's it's that's how you're understanding what someone else is going through, but it's also, it's a lot to process.
2: Yeah, and you know, kind of going back to the depression and anxiety that we have these natural rhythms and it's highly sensitive people, what what I find is like I have times when I'm my energy is more expansive. Mm-hmm. So that's when I'm going to be returning phone calls, I'm going to be podcasting, I'm going to be making videos, I'm, I'm going to be doing social things. And then I'm attractive where I pull back and I'm going to be more quiet, you're not going to see me as much, and maybe on social media because it's easy to walk away from. But I would label those as being depressed when I was pulled back, and I had to really think, like, am I feeling bored? Am I feeling listless? Am I not interested in things? It's like, no, I, I just need some time to kind of retreat and recharge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then I get in these expansive places and think, this is it, I've arrived, and think that I'd be able to maintain that. And it's like, I have this natural rhythm and most HSPs too and when we start to recognize that we kinda learn how to maximize on our rhythm. Yes. And no, that's not and not label them to feel bad about yourself.
1: Right. And I I think that I mean I personally have noticed that as I'm getting older, I'm better able to do that and say like, okay, we've recently moved. And when I have those moments, I'm like, I am going to get that closet and that closet is mine. I'm cleaning it up. I'm getting rid of stuff. But then other times I'm like, how did I ever even clean a closet? You know, like how did I even gather the strength for that? Um, But I like what you're talking about, about being sort of um, respectful of your own limits. And then like, when it's go time, it's go time you know, and, and kind of right. using that time well.
2: And it's not uncommon for many of us to have negative stories of what we hear. You know, how come I can't get as much done as everybody else? Mm-hmm. And how come everybody can go, go, go? And It's not uncommon for us to partner up with someone who's got strengths that are opposite ours. And so doing that down to a partner, I, you know, like I have a partner that loves to be out in crowds and noise and doing stuff. i like, that is just not my idea of a good time. So I, I play the, the role of the good wife because I care about my partner and I'm really mindful about how much and when and where we do that.
1: Right. So what, what prompted you to create a podcast and kind of spread this message? Were you finding that it wasn't something that was being talked about? Is it under... I mean, I, I, I have not talked about it and I feel like I read a lot about this kind of stuff, but... I feel like there's not a lot of this in conversation. We talk about introverts and extroverts, but not so much this highly sensitive, like what do you call it? Not disposition. What do you what do you what do you call it's
2: a, trait. It's a trait? A trait. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and it occurs that too many people to be a diagnosis, but there's nothing wrong with you if you have this trait. Right. If your students are interested, Dr. Elaine Aaron on our website. If you go to hsperson.com, there's a self test. Okay. If you take it and you, and you don't score, you can take the child version of the test and think back to when you were a kid. Because like in my family we didn't talk about feelings and so I learned how to be very intellectual about things and I go through a lot of therapy to get back in touch with my feelings and then once I learned about being a highly sensitive person, again it helped because I you know, we tend to be deep thinkers and we often have been told like we ruminate, we can't let things go, we perseverate. I'm really cautious about the words that we use because we are deep thinkers. I have a lot of expectations. I have a lot of disappointments. I just know that about myself. And instead of trying to be something that I'm not, I just know. Often I don't even know I have an expectation until I'm in a disappointment. I'm like, oh, it happened again. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and then I address it. And I move on. And the caution is you have, you know, therapists that are not HS knowledgeable, high, knowledgeable, highly sensitive people there's a really good chance they're going to try and get you to do more and mm. not be in your feelings as much because they think that it's more functional to be like the other 80% of the population. But that really, I have a number of therapists as clients, and I can't tell you how many times I've had therapists their clients tell me, how misattuned their therapists were just because they didn't have the information,
1: which is why I want people to know. Right. Yeah, I love that. Well, and I think that there's so much, even in advertising, like when you look at what, what th- how things are supposed to be, you know, there's not a lot of advertising or um, what's like uh, cultural like images that you see of people doing that, recharging. I mean, that's not, I guess maybe it's not quote unquote sexy to like have somebody recharging their batteries for to like sell a soft drink. But it's not really, um, you don't see it. And I think it's sometimes when you don't see things, it makes you feel like there's something wrong with that, if that makes sense.
2: Absolutely. Well, our culture is very much about doing. Mm. And being a highly sensitive person is very much about being. And being is not snappy, sadly sparkly, fun. It's what we do. And, and highly sensitive people are... The creative, the innovators, the change makers, we're the healers, we're the therapists, we're the justice makers. We have this really innate sense of what's right and wrong and wanting to fight for the underdog and being incredibly creative and thoughtful and conscientious.
1: Yeah, no, it's so true. It's so true. I, um, I'm i excited that we're having this conversation because this is just something that I have not thought that much about personally, what would you say are some of the, the stumbling blocks for highly sensitive people that that the world is really not set up to make it easy? And what, what are things that you have found that help in these different scenarios? Like you have to go to a kid's birthday party or you have to go to a wedding or something that you know is going to be a lot for you.
2: Right. I think the overwhelm and overstimulation are challenging. It's not uncommon for narcissists people with narcissistic tendencies to pair up with highly sensitive people and so often our families of origin will have a a narcissist in it and so navigating what is okay to have in your life and what is not okay to have in your life and then figuring out how to do things in manageable bits. So one of the hacks of parties is if my partner and I go to a party, we often will take separate cars Mm. because I know I'm good for an hour or two and then I'm done. And so this, you know, know, my husband has a chance he can stay and visit as long as he wants. I can go and get what I need and then get out of there. Right. And I have to plan my day really mindfully so that I'm not doing a lot of things that are requiring a lot of energy, that I can kind of conserve my energy for an event, you know, or keeping earplugs on me all the time. You know, places are too loud, I can pop some earplugs in. Or make sure I've got sunglasses because I'm really, like, I'm a mole. I, You know,
1: bright lights, bright sunshine is just really hard on me. Me too, especially when I'm driving yeah. and my kids are making a lot of noise in the car and then the light hits me, you know, and I'm just like, bah! like, it makes me crazy. It's, uh, yeah, and I've noticed, I think that's one of the gifts and challenges of kids. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. There's a vacuum in the background. So sorry about that. Um, no worries. my, I, one of the gifts of having kids is I feel like they have, my kids have helped me learn more about myself, you know, like where I'll be angry and I'm like, why am I so angry right now? And I mean, even like random things like, oh, I really have to go to the bathroom and I'm not paying attention or, you know, the light is hitting me in the eye or it's actually really loud in here or everybody's talking to me at the same time. And um, I've had to come up with ways to sort of manage that. I keep earplugs in all kinds of drawers, you know, and I don't have to now as much with my kids being a little bit older, um, but it it just kind of helps take it down a notch. Yeah, yeah. What, um, in the the group that you have for the highly sensitive people, what kind of support do you find in people sharing their stories and sort of finding community around this thing that could sometimes feel kind of isolating maybe or, or, or you know, not understood? Right.
2: Well, what Dr. Aaron talks about is, is a highly sensitive person ability really needs to be surrounded by other highly sensitive people. And, um, you know, finding communities where there are other HSPs is really important because, again, we're such a small part of the population. Most of us feel like we didn't fit in. We were, you know, have that narrative of too whatever it is. And my wounding around being too much and too needy and I'm not too much and I'm not too needy. And that wounding kind of follows me. It still shows up today. I just know how to work with it. Yeah, Um, I totally lost my train
1: of thought. (laughs) Oh, that happens to me all the time. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and I kept having questions, and I was like, "Mm, it's gone again. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) It'll come back. It'll come back. Um, No, I I think this, I mean, it's giving me a lot of compassion, like hearing about these characteristics. It's giving me more compassion for me as a child and my family and my sisters and just how... That isn't I feel like as a culture, we are becoming more aware of people's differences, you know, and that that not everybody operates in the same way and not everybody needs the same things. Um, But, you know, 30 years ago, that was I don't at least in the community I grew up in, that was not the case. It was like there was a one size fits all model of all things.
2: Right, and I love looking at Dr. Erin's research, and I just keep referencing it because, like, she's the one that's done the primary amount of research, and I want to be really clear, like, this is not, like, I did not do the work. I'm just regurgitating what, you know, she's done. But when you have highly sensitive kids that are raised in an environment and the caregivers are not attuned, and that can be as simple as having a caregiver that's not an HSP, there are higher rates of depression and anxiety which makes sense. And then if you look through the lens of childhood emotional neglect, which is really just what didn't happen, meaning, again, having parents that weren't attuned that you can have a good childhood, your parents could have been really loving, but for a highly sensitive person, all it takes is having a parent that was not highly sensitive so when a child has a strong emotional reaction to something and the parent doesn't understand it and they're not able to really acknowledge the depth Mm -hmm. of feeling or whatever's coming up for the child, that creates wounding. And, it's not uncommon for a parent to make comments like you're being too sensitive or you're being too dramatic because you don't understand. So that creates wounding. So what I find is there are a number of highly sensitive people that have this wounding from childhood and they hate their traits of being highly sensitive, but it's not the traits of being highly sensitive. It's wounding that needs to be healed. And once you heal that and you learn that it was about your parents' shortcomings and not yours, those deficits become superpowers.
1: Yes. Oh, I love that. The deficits become superpowers. That's great. What, um, oh shoot. Now I forgot. Ah, you, you, you got me with that line and it just got me excited. Um, what was it? Shoot. Um, oh, this is what I was curious about. So I can, I can see how not having a highly sensitive parent and that couldn't respond to your sensitivity could happen. What about if the parent is also highly sensitive. And so if there's a big reaction from the child, it's too much. It's overwhelming to the parent.
2: That can also happen. You know, it's it's a mixed bag. And, you know, we need to take a step back and look at good enough parenting. So if you're a parent and you're worried that you're making mistakes, you know, we do the best we can and we do good enough parenting. Interestingly, my mom was a single parent. Later on we found out she's a highly sensitive person. I'm a highly sensitive person ways that worked really well and in other ways it did not work at all because she was so overwhelmed and we didn't do feelings and if I cried I had to go to my room and we had you know the rules had rules because that's how she managed her anxiety and trying to hold it together as a parent but there were other areas where like with creativity that she really was able to nurture that so I use the analogy of cheese and this is often what happens with childhood emotional neglect. Is you know, There are parts of my development that were incredibly solid and well-formed, and then there were these holes where it's like, what the heck happened? Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be very young, I'd be very wounded, I'd be very regressed because there were certain areas that my needs were just not met. And so, like, therefore, we've got the whole in the cheese, which is why doing our own work is really helpful so that we can kind of create a solid piece of cheese.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Isn't that everybody's goal in life, to be a solid piece of
1: cheese? Yes, yes. <laughs> Um
2: it's not a beautiful analogy but it's very It weird. makes
1: sense it makes <laughs> sense and so in your work or in your experience what how have have uh like do you encourage clients to go back and have these conversations with their families or do you really have to take i mean i would guess you have to take it case by case if the family is even open to hearing you know here's what i've learned
2: Yeah, I think it really all depends. I mean, anybody that comes to therapy, you kind of take what they're presenting or seeing as their problems, and that's what you work with. And so I don't feel like as a therapist it's up to me to decide how a client needs to work on their past or their present, and if they just want to come in and work on the present and everything is related to the present, then that's what we do. But if problems are popping up and it's related to something else, well, then we got to take a look at it. So it's really on a case-by-case basis. And... You know, if you have a parent who's narcissistic or has narcissistic tendencies, you're probably not going to get real far in that conversation. So then it's about knowing where the limitations are and the people in your life that you bump up against, and right. how do you want to navigate that?
1: Yep, that sounds that sounds like good a good perspective because it is it's hard um, to I I think I'm just thinking about other adults I know. Who, you know, through the process of, of figuring out wh- who they are, then you can look back at, and figure out where those holes were, right? But maybe people don't necessarily, it's not necessary for the healing to go back and point out to people, you created this hole for me. You know, because I, I think as humans, we're, we're all creating holes for people, right? Like, we're not right. always showing up in the perfect way. And then there's c- certain parenting that's more egregious than others, but maybe that's because they are super holy cheese does that make sense? Like,
2: yeah, you know, yeah.
1: I mean, well, and, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just thinking it's just, I, I, I struggle, I think sometimes with thinking about how much, and maybe this is the highly sensitive part of me is like how much compassion I try to give as much as I can, you know, to how other people behave, but then where do you draw the boundary of how you then interact with them? You know? And, and to me, that's a big thing that I've learned. And um, that was not, I mean, boundaries was not something that was introduced to me until late in life.
2: Sure. Well, there are two things. I think, you know, we get to decide what is okay for people that are going to be in our life. What is acceptable? That's a very clear boundary. I mean, it's not easy to get to that place, but that's not about changing anybody's uh, behavior, but it's about saying, if you're going to come into my world this is what's acceptable and not acceptable, which is different than processing history with someone that you feel was you know, injurious to you. But I can tell you, I've got twin boys that are 18. They went off to college last fall. Mm. And as I've done my podcast and learned about childhood emotional neglect, I can definitely see where I didn't get some skills and how I didn't give those skills to my kids and how it's showing up for each of them. And so I've, I've had a number of conversations about hey, guys, I'm kind of seeing this is where I didn't get some stuff and I can see that I didn't give it to you in your parenting and this is how it looks like it's showing up in your life today. So we have a couple of options. A, you know, we can talk because, like, I couldn't give you what I didn't have. And if you want to get some therapy, if you want to get some coaching, if you want to get tutoring, but these are things that we can work on. So we're naming it. Mm. They may never do anything about it, but now we've named it so if it comes up, they know what it is. And I'm saying like, hey, I, I did the best I could and I made some mistakes. So if you need to come back at any time and we need to talk about it. And I've really had a real blessing in helping them currently, kind of as I'm reparenting myself, being able to show up to them in a way that I wasn't able to because I'm seeing where I need to do some work and I'm mm-hmm. doing my work. And then I'm able to kind of bring that into our relationship. And it's really been beautiful.
1: Yes. Oh, I love that. I wonder. I'm looking, thinking. 18. Do they stop rolling their eyes like, "Oh, mom's a therapist" at that point, or is there sort of like a half eye roll at that point? I feel like my kids are like, "Oh, mom and therapy." And
2: <laughs> something really beautiful has happened. That my relationship with my kids has gotten much closer as they kind of, you know, aged out, so to speak. Right. And I don't know if it's a sense of responsibility that I feel like that duty that I feel as a parent to give them everything, and now I can have a closer relationship with them. But, you know, I can tell you, like, one of them started in late high school to engage in stuff that really kind of violates certain that Like, they don't do it, and you go around and sneak. Or, you talk about this really isn't align- isn't in alignment with our family values, and my relationship with you is what's important. And so he talks to me about what he's doing. He sends me videos. He sends me pictures. It's not always stuff as a mom that I really want to be seeing, and my relationship with my son is way more important than some of the choices that he's making.
1: Right. I love that. I love that. Well, that gives me hope because I have an 11-year-old who likes to roll his eyes at me right now, and I'm sure he would die if I, you know, he knew I was actually speaking words about that. Um No, that's great. And I think that that's one of the things I'm realizing just from my different conversations with people is that to me is one of the big keys is that humility, you know, to, to recognize where we all have our shortcomings and it's, and if we can sort of be in touch with where our shortcomings are, it's easier to like sort of give grace or give, give somebody the benefit of the doubt that they were doing the best that they could do, um, And that doesn't mean you need to have a relationship with them or need to talk to them or whatever, you know, but it's just, it makes you understand that maybe it's just a different, it's just a different um, way that they were raised.
2: Yeah, yeah. And in the relationships that are important to us, that humanity, our imperfection of taking that kind of shield of perfectionism down and going like, I don't know, I made a mistake, I don't know how to do this. That's where we get that meaningful connection. The connection is not in, I'm fine, I'm having a perfect life. The connection is, I'm struggling. This is hard. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to navigate. That's where people really draw closer to us.
1: Yes, I love that. That's great. Well, I have so appreciated learning from you. I feel like... Um, This is a a neat – I'm going to have to read more about this topic because I feel like it's very applicable to me, and I am sure I could benefit from some of the research and the community and all of that. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything that you were hoping I would ask you about that I I haven't asked you about
2: yet. Hmm. I would love to tell your listeners if you're wondering if you're a highly sensitive extrovert. Again, if you go to hsperson.com or you can just Google – There's an article called Introversion, Extroversion, and the Highly Sensitive Person by Jacqueline Strickland. It's really a neat article to read. Um, We did not get a chance to go into what the DOES means. You can find that on Dr. Aaron's website. Episode 14 of my podcast, Matthew Morgan and I had kind of a back and forth conversation about what it means to be a highly sensitive person, so... If you want to know a little bit more, those are some resources for you. But I guess what I would want to leave your listeners with is being a highly sensitive person is amazing. You know, once we kind of work through and figure out how to navigate, it's amazing.
1: I love that. I love that. And I love... Um... I love that as a culture, I think we are learning more about how these differences make us whole. You know, it's like if everybody was just the same type, it would be not as interesting a place to be, I don't think. Um, I'm wondering, one of the things I ask people about as the last question is just what you do for your own self-care, you know, while you're taking care of other people and, um, you know, keeping your family strong and keeping connected with people. What's a practice that you do for your own self-care to sort of keep yourself strong?
2: I love walking my dog. It's funny, I was sick this last weekend, and so Sunday I wasn't able to walk her, and it really made a difference. I think for highly sensitive people, being out in nature, being able to kind of connect and ground with animals, is really important. So I walk my dog two or three times a day. Like, we take some really good walks. Yoga is something that works for me. I have alone time. I work from home, so I've got alone time in the house, which I really like. Again, for a highly sensitive person, we kind of like our routine. We like enough structure to kind of keep us guided, but not too much where it's rigid. So being able to create a lifestyle that has some balance in it really works for me. And time with friends, like I have to connect with people. And so I have my people that I connect with on a regular basis, and we've got really great in-depth conversations where I, I can be struggling and show up, and these people love and embrace me and just reflect back. The strengths that I have and my humanity. So
1: yeah, that is great. We sound like we have a lot in common. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we probably do. I
1: know. Um, well, I have loved talking to you. Thank you so much, and I'm definitely going to check out your podcast and also um, the Facebook group. Is the Facebook group an open group or is it an invitation? Or what's how how can people um, okay. find out more about that? You
2: can search for the group unapologetically sensitive. And are questions that you need to ask. You either need to be a highly sensitive person or a parent of a highly sensitive person or, you know, identify as one of a cliche, an introvert. Um, but it's a great community.
1: Oh, great. Well, I will be checking that out, and I have so appreciated learning from you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
2: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks so much for listening to The Family Brain. I really loved talking with Patricia Young and learned so much from everything she had to say about the highly sensitive personality trait. Check out her podcast on iTunes, Unapologetically Sensitive. And if you're interested in learning more, she has great resources and she digs deeper into some of the the pros and cons and, and difficult parts about being highly sensitive. And then some of the great, arts that make you who you are so thanks for listening if you feel inclined i would love for you to leave a review on itunes it's not super easy to find which is why i think not a lot of people do it but but push through and find it it's at the bottom of where all of the episodes are listed it there's a little um place to click that says write a review and if you wouldn't mind doing that that would be great it helps other people find the podcast so we can share this message of mental health and emotional wellness to other people. Thanks for listening.